For the past 20 years, I've rarely left home without my calendar in my pocket. Back in the days before smartphones, I would always mark the start of a new school year by going to buy a new brown line pocket calendar. Not the day planner, but the one with the whole month on each page. And then, with great care, I would copy over all the details from the old calendar to the new one. I liked the sense of security that came with having my future planned out and written down. And it always felt very mature to be able to pull out my calendar and say things like, well, let's choose a date to make sure that happens. I've got my calendar right here. Now, we all have our calendars on our smartphones, and I'm not so unusual anymore. But that feeling of having a well-organized schedule, of knowing what's coming, I still like that. I'm not the only one for sure. Planning ahead is one of the key virtues of our society. Be prepared is pretty much the official slogan of Canadian winters. Not everyone operates that way, but we prepared folks do like to heap shame upon those who fail to prepare. And in our culture, having no plans pretty much means having no life. Or so it was until COVID-19. I still look at my Google Calendar sometimes, but mostly it just sits there as a haunting reminder of what might have been. I haven't given up on our summer plans for family camping trips just yet, but we haven't bothered to book our campsites either because, well, who knows? Who knows? Ugh. How do you feel about that level of uncertainty for the future? I mean, we all know that the future is unpredictable. I know that I can't control the future, but my calendar reveals my determination to try. Who knows what's going to happen? I hate that feeling. That sense of uncertainty is what struck me this week in reading the Palm Sunday text from John chapter 12. You know the story. The great crowd goes out to welcome Jesus and name him the King of Israel. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a young donkey, the symbol of a new ruler coming in to claim the city, not with violent judgment, but in peace. Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. But that cheering was only part of the story. For a while now, as the story of Lent has been building towards Holy Week, the Gospel writers have been giving the sense that Jesus and his disciples knew where this thing was headed. They didn't know how it was all going to play out, but they knew that where they were going, what they were doing was going to drive a confrontation with the priests and the religious leaders. They knew that the growing size of their crowds was going to get the attention of their Roman overlords. So, riding into Jerusalem, even though they were met with cheers this day, they were aware that going to Jerusalem meant bringing the conflict to a head. And Jesus is not avoiding that confrontation, but rather doggedly seeking it out. Jesus' friends could feel the rhythm of the future, but they had no control. That's the feeling behind the Palm Sunday cheers. The sense of chaos, of an imminent cataclysm, of heading to a bad place but not knowing what that climax would look like and powerless to do anything about it. Sound familiar? Or perhaps I'm projecting just a wee bit. Anyway, in the middle of all this uncertainty, Jesus gives a speech about trust. Whoever trusts in me, trusts not so much in me as in the one who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that whoever trusts in me need not remain in the dark anymore. That speech actually comes at the conclusion of the story, and I'll have more to say about what it means in a minute. 
For now, let's just note that the writer of the story is framing this as a story about what it means to trust. So let's have a look at the main characters of the story and what they show about trust. First, the obvious villains, the Pharisees. These guys trust no one but themselves. And although they claim to be people of faith, mostly they just reject anything that doesn't fit into their carefully crafted system of beliefs. Jesus defied their expectations, so they did not trust him no matter what they saw. They were ready to murder him to preserve their theology and their positions of power. Another main character is the anonymous crowd. The writer says that these people were the ones attracted to Jesus because they had witnessed or heard about the resurrection of Lazarus. For them, trust was about signs, about the power that Jesus had proven to have. Which isn't a bad thing, that's why Jesus did so many signs in the first place. He was trying to attract a crowd. But there was a limit to that kind of trust, as the story reveals. Now, in John's Gospel, the Palm Sunday story includes an unfamiliar tangent about some Greek Jews who had come to Jerusalem for Passover. They had heard the stories about Jesus, and they wanted to talk to him. The details are a bit fuzzy, but basically Jesus takes the presence of these foreigners as a sign that, yes, now is the time to reveal himself fully to the crowd. And so, as he speaks to them, he prays, Abba God, reveal your glory. And a voice in the sky answered him, I have already revealed my glory, and I will reveal my glory again. Which is about as subtle as a neon sign saying, God's glory, right here, it's this guy. That's where the story centers back on the cheering crowd, the ones who have been following Jesus because of signs just like this one. This time, they're confounded by what they've witnessed. Well, that must have been thunder, some said. Others said, oh, maybe that was the voice of an angel. An hour ago, they wanted to make him their king, claiming that he was God's chosen one. But now, when they hear God's affirmation of that claim, they're dodging it. What happened to their trust? Well, when they actually listened to Jesus talk, what he said didn't fit into their vision for a kingdom. Jesus talked not about winning, but about dying. He made it clear that he had no intention of using his power to force his way to the throne. He had come to Jerusalem to die. The crowds did not cheer that coronation speech. And when the very voice of God from the sky affirmed that this was indeed the plan, the crowd heard only thunder. That's the trouble with belief based on signs, on proof. At some point, the evidence always runs out, or points to something unexpected. And when it did, the faith of the crowds turned out to be quite similar to the faith of the Pharisees. The crowds, too, were invested in a particular vision of the future. There wasn't room in their faith for something beyond that understanding. When trust in Jesus meant leaving that path, they kept their certainty and abandoned Jesus. Certainty is not the same as faith. At some point, trust is about choosing even what you can't see, even what doesn't make sense to you. That's my interpretation of Jesus' speech at the end of this story. He said, whoever trusts in me, trusts not so much in me as in the one who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that whoever trusts in me need not remain in the dark anymore. In the Heichmann paraphrase, you are able to trust in me 
because you're used to genuine trust in God. You see me the way, the same way you see the God that you cannot see. When you see me, you're simply seeing in broad daylight the same thing that you've been choosing to see in the dark all along. Faith is choosing how to see what you see. There's a final group of characters in this Palm Sunday story, the disciples. As I said, this group had a better sense than anyone else where this thing was headed. They didn't like that future, but they could see it coming. What sets them apart in this story, though, is that their faith came not through looking forward, but by looking back. As happens often in the Gospel stories, the writer points out that at the time, the disciples did not understand what Jesus was doing. It was only in looking back that they worked out the meaning of that day. Preachers like me usually mock the disciples for missing what seems obvious in hindsight. But today, I wonder if that's not actually a better way of understanding how faith works. That it's less about the future, and more about looking backwards to discover the meaning that wasn't clear at the time. The Gospel writers describe the disciples as rewriting their personal stories in light of new realities. They didn't have all the answers at the time. Their perspective was quite limited. But rather than clinging to that perspective and rejecting everything that didn't fit into it, they acknowledged that there was stuff happening beyond their ability to see and understand. And that gave them space to stay close to what they did know of God, to stay close to Jesus, day by day, moment by moment, come what may. They walked the path of trust forward, one step at a time, and allowed their understanding to catch up later by working backward. Now that is the opposite of what I like to do. My collection of pocket calendars are proof that I like to choose the kind of life I want in the future and then shape my present to live into that ideal moving forward. Which is a lovely plan until a pandemic reveals the illusion. Turns out I'm not nearly so much in control. I don't understand what's coming nearly as well as I would like to. What I'm left with is the opportunity to admit my lack of control, to instead trust forwards and understand backwards. I can't force the future to conform to the meaning I want it to have, but I can choose to trust that meaning will develop as the present becomes the past. Does that make sense? Or maybe I've been watching too much Doctor Who. I'm not saying that there's some grand plan for all of this, that we will one day understand why God sent this plague on the world. Not at all. I'm not saying that life is following some plan that will account for all of this. I'm saying that as we look back, we will make meaning out of what has happened, no matter what happens. What I'm suggesting is that my faith does not reveal or control the future, that trust is about shaping my response to whatever comes in a way that is consistent with my values, my understanding of God, and my place in the story of the universe. The future does not determine the validity of my faith, because I can only see that story as it takes shape and becomes the past. And that part is under my control, or at least subject to my choice for how I want to understand it. So on Palm Sunday, trust is an invitation to hold loosely to our preferred version of the future. The story does not need to go the way I want it to go for it to be a good story. I don't need to see my way to the end in order to live well right now. What I can do is choose to see the present in the light of faith to take what I know of God and apply that to what is right in front of me today. 
In these COVID-19 dominated days, our news and conversations are filled with projections and models of the future, predictions about how the pandemic will rise and hopefully how it will end, how long the shutdown will last, and forecasts about the economic and societal fallout. As tools to help us make choices about our behaviors during the crisis, that future-focused thinking is helpful. We can and should shape our personal choices and our collective policies and procedures around the best information science can give us about likely outcomes of those choices. But our faith is not in the future. Our models and predictions, and even our preparations, cannot tell us who we are and give meaning to what is happening. Our well-being is not grounded in any particular version of the future, much less in our ability to control what will happen. Our well-being is grounded in the goodness of God, in the love that sustains us in all things. We can't know that for certain. We don't have any guarantee that those truths will get us to the future that we would choose for ourselves. But we can choose to trust. And in the choosing and trusting, like the followers of Jesus, we will find that our stories are rewritten, that looking back will reveal the meaning and purpose and belonging that we would wish for our future. So let's hold on loosely to our calendars and our plans for the future. Let's remember that our well-being is not determined by the symbols we cling to to give us a feeling of control. Our projections and indicators and institutions, our filled pantries, our stockpiles of medical equipment, our insurance plans and savings accounts. Those are good things, but they are not the source of our salvation. With the followers of Jesus, we are entering a holy week. Anything can happen. We will certainly be surprised and most likely horrified and devastated by some of what lies ahead. And yet, we can walk forward in trust and in hope, not because we know where we are going, but because we can choose to trust and hope along the way. Don't be afraid.